0: is from the book of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Uh, We began a a series in the book of Zechariah last week, last night, uh, last Sunday night. Uh, We're continuing in chapter 1. Our passage uh, that we'll be reading is Zechariah chapter 1, reading from verse 7 to verse 21. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 943. Zechariah chapter 1, reading from verse 7 to the end of the chapter, page 943. Let us pray as we come before God's Word. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you uh, for this Word, that you've given your Word uh, to us. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that you tell us in your Word that it is indeed a lamp unto our feet. So enlighten us, Lord, tonight as we I uh, come to the reading and preaching of your, of your word. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit to understand it and to apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shebat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, I saw in the night and behold a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red sorrel and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent. To patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees, and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but the a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, there, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord, the Lord of hosts: My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion, and again choose Jerusalem. And I lifted my eyes and saw, behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that I have scattered, that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns that scatter Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations, who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah, to scatter it. In Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, so please keep your Bibles open as we uh, look at this chapter together. In Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, uh, the Lord made a promise to His people. The Lord says to His people, Return to Me, and I will return to you. The Lord uh, promised to His people that if they uh, turn away from their sins and turn to Him, forsaking their evil ways and their evil deeds, and putting their faith in Him, that He will return to them. And by the grace of God, we learn in verse 6, that they listened to God, turned to God, and repented. Another question seems to be in the rest of the chapter, will God return as He promised His people He would? And what would this look like? And it's not that the people doubted God's Word or God's promises, I don't think. It's just that there were significant factors at play in the lives and in the world of those people around them. So, for example, Darius, the ruler of the most powerful empire of the world, was ruling their land. It was a time of economic uncertainty for God's people, let alone the fact that they were being harassed and oppressed by the nations around them who didn't want them to prosper. And so the question seems to be, can God's people live in trust of, rely upon, and hope in the Lord, their God, in the midst of all that is happening around them? Can they hope and trust in God that His return will indeed bring restoration? I wonder whether this is something that you have ever experienced in your life, this feeling That yes, we believe in the promises of God, and yet when we look at the world around us, uh, we feel a deep sense of insecurity and uncertainty about what the future holds. On the one hand, we've got all of God's promises, and we believe in this. On the other hand, we look at all that's happening in our lives, and we wonder, and we ponder, Lord, how does those two things work together? I wonder whether you've ever thought, Lord, we know that in all things, you are working for the good of those who love you, but can you please show us how? Because we cannot see it. So this is where we are at uh, as we come to verses 7 to 11. The Lord promised to return to his people but how will this happen? How long will this take? Three months have already gone by since the first time that Zechariah preached to them. Zechariah preached on the eighth month uh, in the second year uh, of Darius. We read about this in verse 1. And now we are in verse 7, and Zechariah tells us that it's the 11th month. So three months have gone by, uh, which is not a long time. But what we need to remember is that the people of Jerusalem, it's, uh, for the people of Jerusalem, it's been 16 years now since they've returned. And so it wouldn't surprise me if some of them were a little bit discouraged, or, or disheartened, or simply tired of waiting, And so the Lord gives to Zechariah a series of visions, each one of them designed to encourage them and lift up their spirit. And tonight we're going to be looking at some of those visions. So our first point tonight, the Lord knows all things. And we're going to be looking at that first session in Zechariah and how we get there. The Lord knows all things. Nothing escapes his sight. This is his world. He has sovereign control over it. So verses 8 to 10. So in verse 8, we read that Zechariah receives a vision. It's night time. And in his vision, Zechariah sees a man. And what is this man doing? He's riding a red horse. Uh, He was standing among the myrtle trees. And we are told there that all of this is happening in the glen. And behind him were other horses, red, sorrel, uh, which is a light reddish brown, and white horses. So he sees this vision, he sees this picture of this man on his red horse, and uh, among the myrtle trees in a glen, and behind him other the horses. Uh, now, this is not the first time in the Bible that God uh, speaks to his people through visions. Uh, God has spoken in the past through the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, all of them receive visions from God. Or we can think of the book of Revelation, uh, which we've been looking at in the morning, And as uh, you would know, we need to be careful, cautious, as we approach and think about these visions. Uh, Visions in the Bible are often full of striking imagery and symbolism, and we need to come to them with a degree of caution as to how to interpret them. And it's important as we come to these visions that we do not allow our imagination to run wild with all kinds of interpretation, but that we approach these images Uh, from a Biblical framework, thinking about how these images are used elsewhere in the Bible, thinking about how uh, they would have been understood within the context of the time. So that's our challenge tonight, looking at those visions and trying to understand uh, what God is saying to us through them. And as we will see, a lot of the hard work of interpretation has been done for us in our passage. There's no need for guessing here, Uh, as we'll see in our passage, it's explained to us. So, for example, in verse 9, Zechariah himself has a question. So he received this vision, and and we are not the only ones thinking that we need more information. So Zechariah himself has a question, what are these, my Lord? So he sees the vision, but he he doesn't understand it all, so he he asks the question, what are these, my Lord? Um, so Zechariah um, asks this, he, he needs more explanations, and it becomes clear from Zechariah's questions and the angels' answer that the main element and focus of the vision is on the horsemen, and it's on who sends them and what they're doing. So the myrtle trees, the glen, the colours of the horses, they, they all fade in the background, never to be mentioned again in our passage. It's all about the horsemen. It's all about who sends them. It's all about what they do. So our passage tells us uh, what is important for us to know. The passage tells us what is important for us is the identity of these horsemen and the things they do and who sends them. Uh, So let us read verse 10 again. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, so there is Zechariah, he receives the vision he doesn't understand it all. He has a question. What are these? And the answer comes in verse 10. So the men who are standing among the myrtle trees answered, These, that is the riders, the horsemen, are they whom the Lord, the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So what do we learn from verse 10? Well, we learn that God is the one who sent these horsemen. We learn that God has given them work to do. We learn that they were patrolling the earth. And as we will discover in verse 11, they obey God. They are under God's command and they will bring to Him a report. So this is the first thing we learn from this vision. We learn that God has a thorough and perfect knowledge of what is happening in the world. God has riders, horsemen, that He can call upon to patrol the earth and the images, the image of horses often used in the Bible in association with royalty and wealth and military power and success. So for example, King Solomon owned 1400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, all of which are a testimony to his power, his wealth and his military power. We can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 10. But more significantly, Horses, horsemen and chariots are often used in the Bible to describe the angels of God's army in heaven. You can read about this at home in 2 Kings chapter 6 or in Psalm 68. So this is how we ought to think about this vision. What Zechariah sees is a vision of God's power and authority and sovereignty over all the things of this world. Zechariah sees a vision of God's army patrolling the earth, God's horsemen going around uh, the earth, monitoring what is happening and reporting back to God. This is what Zechariah sees. And here is where the historical context is important. Zechariah is speaking to a people living under the Persian Empire. And history tells us, that one of the ways in which the Persians ruled this large empire uh, was by sending messengers, horsemen, across the entire empire to make sure that its borders were secure, to make sure that there was peace in the land, to make sure that there was enough information uh, to rule well and to administer well and manage well such a big area, such a large group of people. So if you lived in Israel in 519 BC, it would not surprise you to see multiple Persian officers on horseback patrolling your area, collecting your taxes, collecting information, passing on messages from the emperor. So that would have been something you would have seen on a regular basis. So do you see now what God is revealing to Zechariah and his people? God is telling them that the Darius, The Persian ruler is on the throne, the earthly throne of Persia, ruling over Israel and most of the ancient world. Ultimately, Darius is not the one who is in charge. God is. God wants His people to know that in spite of what they might see around them, God is the one who is truly in control. You want to think about this for now? Think of the world around us, think of all our world leaders. You can think of Putin, or Biden, or Albanese, or Macron. And you might think they are the ones who are ruling the world. Zechariah chapter one says, no, God is. God is the one who is in control. This is his world and he rules over it. His sovereignty is unrivaled. His horsemen are unstoppable. He is the unequal sovereign of this world, unsurpassed. God knows all things. He has an extensive and perfect knowledge of all that is happening in the world. So to us, to God's people who have repented of, our, of their sins and put their faith in God, God says in Zechariah chapter 1, You can trust in me. This is my world. I am in charge. I am aware of all that happens. The Bible tells us that God rules over all things, visible things, invisible things. God rules over every atom, every molecule, every man, woman, child, from every nation and tribe. God rules all things. The whole of history rests in His hands. So it is easier for us to believe in the promises of God when everything around us is going well. When there is economic stability in our country, when there are a lot of work opportunities, when we have food on our tables, and great school for our kids to attend, it's easier for us to see the Lord's faithfulness in providing for our needs. When we live in a country that is prosperous and peaceful, and a country where there is religious freedom, it's easier for us to believe in God's promise to protect his church. But how about the Christians living in the countries of the world where there are wars? and bombings, and death, what confidence do they have in the future? What about the Christian dying of hunger in Somalia? What confidence do they have in the Lord's provision? What about those suffering of incurable types of illnesses? What confidence do they have in God's healing purposes for them? Does God see what they are going through? Does God see what we are going through? Does God know about their sufferings? Does God know about our sufferings? Well, the answer is given to us in Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter one, and the, and the answer is a resounding yes. God knows. This is God's world, and God knows all things, rules over all things. Nothing escapes His sight. Nothing is outside of His reach. God is never out of touch with reality. God is never out of touch with what is happening in His world. God is the sovereign ruler of our world. All that happens is part of His wise, just and good plan. God is the one who ordains all that is to pass. He decrees all things. And therefore, that means that all of our lives are in His hands. All of our lives are in the hands of a loving, righteous, holy and good God. And yet again, we, we need to think, we need to go back to, to the context of Zechariah. We need to think of the people uh, living d- during Zechariah's day. What comfort uh, is this to them, knowing that God knows all things, when the reality on the ground is so difficult? What comfort does it give to us to know that God knows all things, He's in control of all things, and yet we look around us and it's just chaos. Well, that takes us to our second point tonight. The Lord loves his people with a jealous love. So not only does God rule over all things, has power over all things, that this is his world, but then he tells us in the verses uh, coming up, 11 to 17, that he he loves his people with, with a jealous love. So God rules over all things, has all power. And then he says to us, and I love you. So verse 11, in verse 11, God's horsemen, the angels of God's army, have, they've patrolled the earth unstoppable and have returned with a report. The report is given to us at the end of verse 11, which I'm about to read. We have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. The report appears to be a positive one, isn't it? All the earth is at rest until we stop to think about it to think about this report from the perspective of God's people. Within the context of Zechariah, to say that the earth was at rest probably meant that there was peace within the Persian Empire. By the time of Zechariah's writing, Persia has subdued the nations around it, including Israel. So in one sense, the earth was at rest. But in another sense, God's people were subject to a foreign nation. They were not free. They have been allowed to go back home, but they were still under the rule of a foreign ruler. They were still under the rule of a foreign nation, which means that though the earth was at rest, they were not. And it's a, it's a tragic report, uh, because in the Old Testament, God promised that He would bring peace and rest to His people Israel. But in Zechariah's time, the situation was reversed. Israel was the one that was struggling coming back from years of defeat and shame, while the world was at peace and rest, seemingly getting away with all their sins against God. Reminds us of our own world, isn't it? We look around us and we feel like it's a Psalm 73 kind of situation, the wicked prosper while the church suffers. And so the angel of the Lord laments. He laments what he sees, He laments this situation where God's people are oppressed and the nations are at peace. And so the angel of the Lord laments in verse 12 and says, O Lord of hosts, Lord of the armies, literally, Lord Almighty, how long, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem? Yes, you are powerful. Yes, you rule your world. Yes, you have authority over all things. But how long, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem? And the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these 70 years. How long? It's a lament, but it's also a prayer. How long, O Lord, how much longer will Jerusalem have to suffer? How long will it be until God shows his mercy to his people again? And the answer is given to us. It's given to Zechariah in verses 13 to 14. They are words of grace and comfort. Zechariah is told... In verse 14, he's given a new sermon to preach, as it were. He's told there in verse 14, Cry out, Zechariah, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. God wants Zechariah to preach about his jealous love for his people. In other words, God is not angry with them anymore. That's how Zechariah starts. God has been angry, but now the, the sermon is different. Um, God is not angry anymore, He loves His people. So instead, His anger has turned towards the nation and all those who have oppressed God's people. And in verse 16, all doubts are put to rest. The Lord confirms to Zechariah, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. There's this promise at the beginning, I repent and I will return. And here in verse 16, God says, I have returned, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. The all powerful God has returned. And God wants his people to know that he has come back. In the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11, something terrible happens. We see this in this, those two chapters God leaving his temple, God leaving the nation of Israel. We see God leaving, and the question is, is will he ever come back? And in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 16, God says, I have returned, I am back. And he promises that his temple will be rebuilt and that Jerusalem will be prosperous again. And this, in this part of our passage, God comes a step closer to his people to comfort them. Not only does he know their circumstances, but he is a God who delights to show mercy and comfort and grace to his people. So he tells Zechariah in this passage, that he has an exceedingly jealous love for his people. Not in the negative sense of the word jealous. Not like when we are jealous, but God is using this word there to remind them that they are his treasured people. God uses this word there to remind them that he is like a loving husband committed to his wife. So God loves them with an exclusive, intimate, personal and jealous love. The God who made all things. Loves his people with an intimate and personal love. The God who is almighty, who rules over the armies of heaven, loves us, his people. The God who knows all things, whose knowledge and wisdom is unsurpassable, loves his people. He's come back. So our God is not only a God who knows all things and rules over all things, but he is a God who loves his people, who delights to show mercy, to his people. God loves his children with a jealous love, and he delights in giving to them what they do not deserve, which is his mercy and grace. We find this glorious message of the gospel everywhere throughout the Bible. This glorious message of this of Almighty God, the creator of all things, are coming to rescue his oppressed people, are showing them his love, and coming to dwell among them. We see this in Egypt, where God saw the oppression of his people, and he came to rescue them in love, and came to dwell among them. Here in Zechariah, God again does a similar thing. He comes to be with his oppressed people, uh, to show them his grace again, and he tells them he has returned. And the same uh, is true when God sent Jesus into the world. Uh, Though the world did not receive him, though the world did not believe in him, Jesus came to rescue a people for God. He came to show us mercy and grace. He came close to us. And in coming close to us, God came close to us. He came to tabernacle, to live among us. So there might be times when we wonder where is God. There might be times when in our weaknesses and our sufferings, we struggle to see God's hands at work in our lives. There might be times when... um, Uh, We struggle to see God working in our lives. All we see around us is chaos. And we think about those passages and it's hard for us to see how God is working in our lives. When those times come, we need to remember that God has not forgotten us. God has not lost the plot. God is not too preoccupied with other things. Our God sees and knows our circumstances. And we need to remember that our God loves us with a jealous love. And He has shown this to us at the cross on which Jesus died. And we need to remember that His presence is with us always because He has come to live in us by His Holy Spirit. We need to remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is given to us in Christ. Does this mean that all our troubles and sufferings will suddenly go away? No, it doesn't doesn't always mean that, but we can have the confidence that nothing will happen to us that God did not allow to happen. We can have the confidence that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love Him, even when we cannot see it. We can have the confidence in the character of God, who not only knows all things, has power over all things, but is a God who is gracious and merciful and loving towards us, His people. And He is with us through the joyful times and the not so joyful times. He's with us always. And just like He promised to Zechariah a future time of blessing, God has given to us in Christ every spiritual blessing and more to come in the new Jerusalem when Christ returns. And our passage ends with this. So God is almighty, God loves us. But the reality is. Um, the people of God is still living within the Persian Empire with enemies around them fighting against them. So God gives to Zechariah this vision of those four horns and the four craftsmen, And the Lord will says to Zechariah in this vision that in the end, God will grant victory over uh, their enemies. So verses 18 to 21, in, verses, in verse 18, Zechariah sees a vision of four horns. And he asks the angel again, for an explanation. So, no need to go and guess what those horns are. What are these? Zechariah asked in verse 19. And the answer is given to us in verse 19. Uh, in the Bible, horns were symbols of power and strength. And so, here, the horns represent, we are told, the nations that have scattered Judah and Israel and Jerusalem. But then in verse 20, Zechariah sees four craftsmen. And again, a question is asked and an explanation given in verse 21. The craftsmen. Uh, We are taught of God's instrument to judge the nation that oppresses people. This vision is a lot clearer than the first. Here God explains to His people that though the nations that destroy them seem powerful and unassailable, they too will be taken away, they too will be judged for their sins and be removed. God in this vision gives to His people the confidence that He will grant to them victory over their enemies. And so this picture, the picture starts to, to come together and starts to become a bit clearer. The Lord knows the circumstances of His people. He says to Zechariah, I have my horsemen, I have my army patrolling the earth. I know all things, I'm, I'm powerful, I'm in charge, I'm in control. Then the Lord says to Zechariah, I tell to my people that I love them. So the Lord loves His people and delivers to show mercy to them. He's not indifferent to the needs of His people. And finally, the Lord says to them, I am powerful to rescue my people out of the hands of the fiercest of enemies. So God gave those visions to Zechariah to encourage his people so that they would trust in him in spite of the circumstances in which they found themselves. Darius, the Persian king, is not the sovereign ruler over all things. God is. The Lord is not far from his people. He promised to return, and he has returned. And finally, God will grant ultimate victory to his people. And the application is this. Can we trust God in our lives, with our lives? Can we build our lives and our hopes on the truth of God's word? Can we trust in God's promises to us? And the answer is, yes, we can. We can trust God. We can trust in his purposes for us. Nothing and no one can stop God's purposes for his people. We can trust in his love for his children that endures forever. We can trust that in the end, he will give to us, his people, victory over our enemies. And so we look around us and we think, well, what are these enemies? I don't see any enemies. The Bible tells us that our greatest enemies are not flesh and blood, our greatest enemies are sin and death and Satan. And on the cross, Jesus, our Saviour, and our God, has defeated them all. Sin now has no power on us, over us, for Jesus has taken our sins away from us and has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Death cannot hold on to us, for Jesus has purchased for us eternal life with God in heaven. For all those who believe in Jesus, Death is the gateway into the presence of God. It is the gateway to eternal life. And finally, Satan cannot condemn us because Jesus, our advocate, has paid in full the ransom for our sins. And he has clothed us with his perfect righteousness. The Bible declares that there is now no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus, for those who put their faith and trust in him. When when Jesus returns, Satan will face the last judgment, and we who have believed will stand before God in praise of his Son. God promised to Zechariah the prophet that he would return, and God returned. Jesus promised to us that he will return, and we know that he will. In the meantime, we walk by faith, trusting in him, In the meantime, we face the challenges of life knowing that the Lord our God rules. He reigns. He has all power and authority. And He's the Almighty God and He's for us. In the meantime, we remember that the Lord our God loves us. He loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for us. In the meantime, we remember that in the end, God's people will be victorious. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for the book of the prophet Zechariah. We thank you for its message. We thank you uh, for the encouragement that it gives to us to know that uh, uh, you are on our side, the God who made all things, all-powerful God, the, Lord, the God whose knowledge and wisdom is insurpassable. We thank you, Lord, um, for comforting us in the knowledge that nothing can stop your purposes for us and that you are working for the good of your people. We thank you, Lord, for the comfort of knowing that you love us with a jealous love, And that you will not let go of us we thank you lord that nothing uh, can snatch us out of the father's hand that nothing uh, can separate us from your love and we thank you lord for the promise uh, that a day will come when we will stand victorious in your presence and praising christ our lord for what he's done for us on the cross in his name we pray amen